Good evening. It's good to be with you this evening. I'll be sharing from 1 John again tonight. So you can start turning there. 1 John chapter 5. First five verses of 1 John chapter 5. This is a uh, short passage, but uh, it has a lot packed into it. It talks about our, our love for God, loving God, loving His children, keeping His commandments. And those three things are, are very, um, very intertwined. You can't separate one of them out from the other. And then John goes on to make three important statements in these five verses. Uh, statements that kind of give us a picture of, of what we as Christians should be experiencing. He says that God's commandments are not burdensome. Sometimes they feel burdensome. But John says they are not burdensome. John also says Christians are overcomers because they are born of God. There are people who would say that uh, Christians are, are basically are sinners just like anyone else. And there's some truth in that statement because Christians still sin, but they are not sinners just like anyone else. A Christian should not be defined by sin, but should be defined by overcoming. Is that your experience? Uh, when Jesus told his disciples that he, over, he has overcome the world, it was not his plan for his followers to be following him in defeat. Uh, the third thing that John says in these, in these verses is that our source of victory is our faith. It's the source of victory. Some would see faith and works as almost opposing concepts. Um, I don't really see them that way. This passage tells us faith is the victory. Faith is not the banner of losers. It's the banner of those who are engaging in battle and are victorious. It's for soldiers winning battles for the kingdom. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to read this passage and, and go through each of these verses, verse by verse. And then kind of in the second half of this sermon, we'll look at uh, some of the attributes of overcomers um, and, and a few different passages that speak to the subject of spiritual victory. Before we read this, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight and bless us as we look at these verses. Uh, help us to understand what, what your intention, what your expectation is of us as your children. Um, help us to, uh, to grasp, better understand the, the power that is in us because of your Spirit. And help us to see areas in our lives where um, we need to align ourselves with you and um, I pray that you would build us up in, in our knowledge of your will, like we saw this morning in the Sunday school lesson, and, and I pray that you would uh, lead us into victory and that we would find your commandments to be um, not burdensome, but something that we can 
live out through the work of your Spirit and through our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Okay, so let's read these verses. Uh, start in chapter 4, actually, at verse 20, just because it kind of gives us a prelude of the, of the uh, thoughts in chapter 5. Chapter 4, verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he... I'm sorry. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, we'll go through this passage one verse at a time. Verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, has been born of God. Uh, here at the end of this letter, um, in, in this letter of 1 John, he uses the word belief or in one of its forms about ten times in this letter. Seven of those times come, come here in chapter 5. So it's kind of like as he's wrapping things up, he, he turns to the subject of, of faith, of belief, and how important it is to our Christian experience. Uh, John says everyone who believes Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, has been born of God, born of God, a living, a living child of God, uh, someone who has God's DNA in him, might say, um, a creation of God, a person different from what he used to be, uh, different from those who are not born of God. Uh, the fruit is different. The mission is different. Which is an important thing for us to keep in mind as we, as we look at this passage and um, for our later discussion, because anything that is born of God is automatically, by its nature, going to be on a collision path with whatever is born of Satan, with the, with the world and, and Satan's system. John says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. He's basically restating what he said there at the, at the close of chapter 4. It's impossible to love God and not love your brother. If someone loves me, I expect that person to treat my children with care and respect and maybe even pretend to uh, find my children cute and interesting. I have high expectations of people who care for me. And God has high expectations for how we view his children. Verse 2, 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. John has done a lot of, of by this we know in in this letter. Uh, this is the first time, I think, that he uses by this we know in connection with how we show love to each other, how we care for each other. Which would suggest to me that um, sometimes maybe it's hard to know if we are really loving God's children like we should, um, do we need to be reassured that, that we love God's children? And I think maybe there are scenarios in which, which we do need to, to look for some reassurance, um, especially if there's maybe our person, maybe there's somebody who, who your, your personality just does not mesh well with that person. Uh, maybe there's been some, I don't know, some head banging. Maybe there's been some, some painful interactions with that person. Maybe it's been cleared over. But even then, you know, there, there could be some scar tissue. And, and, it, and I think it could be hard to know, am I really loving this person like I should? And John says the answer um, is, is based in our obedience to God's commandments, which many of them speak to how we should treat each other. When we obey God's commandments, which is more than just trying to be uh, likable to everyone, uh, we are trying to treat each other as God wants us to treat each other. And by doing that, we, we are showing love. There, there's no better way to show love for each other than by keeping God's commandments. There may be times when keeping God's commandments with regard to a brother or a sister may not feel necessarily nice or um, pleasant or, or might cause that person to not like us. Right? But and I'm, I'm thinking of if, if a rebuke or some kind of correction is needed. But I think what I want to say is that you, you can't do a, a better job of caring for your brother or sister in Christ by kind of skirting some of God's commandments and uh, compromising. You can't do a better job. You would be actually doing them a disfavor. As we obey God, we show our love for His children. F.F. Bruce said this on this uh, passage. He said, A man may say he loves God, but his love to God can become manifest to himself and to others only insofar as he obeys God's commandments and shows practical love to God's children. It is easier to deceive ourselves in these matters than it is to deceive others. If we tell them that we love God, they will look for some visible evidence. We should look for some visible evidence ourselves. Verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. The uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible says, For this is what love for God is, to keep His commandments. If we, if we keep God's commandments, there are a number of things that John has been telling us in this letter that we can know about ourselves. For example, in chapter 2, he said, we can know that we have come 
to know Him if we keep His commandments. That's an important fact. In chapter 3, he says, we know we abide in God and He in us if we keep His commandments. Pretty important fact. And in the verse we just read, uh, verse 2, we know that we love God's children if we keep His commandments. And here in verse 3, we know we love God if we keep His commandments. I've come to the conclusion there is no more accurate spiritual thermometer than simply obedience. And if you're thinking of the Pharisees, they were terrible in this area. They were not obedient. They were swallowing camels. God's commandments are not burdensome. They are not an oppressive weight that drags us down and that cannot be carried. Um, they are for our good. They, they do good to us. They can be obeyed. And why comes in the, in the next verse. And God is not like the Pharisees who Jesus said in Matthew 23, tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. God is willing to help us. Uh, and He did more than just move a finger. He is actually living in us. His Spirit is in us and helping us fight these battles. And there is a battle. There is a battle between the Spirit that's in us and our own flesh. Galatians 5.17 says, The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So that battle is, is there. It's going to be there um, till you die. But God's commandments are not burdensome, John says. Unfortunately, I think, I think many Christians, maybe all of us at time, find them burdensome. Maybe we wouldn't use the word burdensome, but find them hard to follow. And I think, um, I think the weight of God's commandments are inversely proportionate, if you can remember your algebra here, the weight of God's commandments are inversely proportionate to our, to our love for Him. So as we love Him more, those commandments are lighter. As we love ourselves more, those commandments are heavier. Verse 4 says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Uh, and this is why God's commandments aren't burdensome, because we are born of God. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, overcomes Satan's creation. Now, I want to do a little grammar check here on the word overcome. Okay, I don't remember my verb tenses, but I know enough to recognize present and, and past, and that's all we need to know for this little study here. And verse 4 uh, starts off with, everyone who has been born of God overcomes. That's some form of the present tense, right? Okay, my own target so far. Verse 5, which we haven't which we haven't studied yet, I guess, is says again, who is it that overcomes? Present tense, right? In the middle, we have past. Some form of past. I can't remember if it's perfect, imperfect, 
but it's past. This is the victory that has overcome the world. And this is actually the third time that John has used overcome in the past tense in this letter. The first time he said that was way back in chapter 2, where he says, I'm writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. What's he talking about? I I don't know for sure, but um, I'm thinking maybe he's referring to their conversion. You, you have overcome the evil one. Maybe it's talking about their conversion. Maybe there was some of the trial specifically that they over, overcame. I don't know. In chapter 4, second time John uses has overcome, is in chapter 4, verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I think in that case, he's referring to they overcame the, uh, the attack, Satan's attack performed through these false teachers. They withstood the false teaching uh, and those false teachers left them. And uh, John says, you overcame, you overcame them, past tense. It's interesting to me that John kind of gives them credit. Even though, even though the power for that kind of victory only comes through the Spirit, John kind of is giving them the credit for it, isn't he? He says, you, you overcame them. So we've got, we've got past and we've got present tense usage of the word overcome here. And what I want to say is, if, if you're a Christian, you are an overcomer in two senses. You are an overcomer historically, Because when you became a disciple of Jesus, you rejected Satan and the world, a a huge decision, a major blow for Satan and his kingdom. And every time someone makes that choice, it is a blow to the kingdom of darkness. God is the one who delivers us from the kingdom of darkness. We saw that in today's Sunday school lesson also. That's a victory. And since then, you've had other victories. Uh, Maybe you've experienced defeats also. We all have experienced defeats, but hopefully it has mostly been victory. So historically, we are overcomers. We have some victories that have been accomplished through God's power and faithfulness, and we shouldn't shouldn't overlook that, that God has been faithful and has has, um, worked in us to, to overcome. The second way in which we are overcomers is, is simply uh, naturally. It's, it's, in our, it's in our nature. Our DNA, our spiritual composition is that of an overcomer. Um, you know, the song, We've Got the Power, is maybe a little bit, maybe a little trite, and depending on your musical tastes, maybe a little annoying, but it is true. We have the power. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Those are absolutely true statements. And uh, the power that is in us is, is not just greater than a handful of spiritual threats that are out there we might encounter. It's, it's greater than, than all of them and, and greater than Satan himself. Verse 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Those who believe are overcomers. 
Let's kind of recap these, these verses before we move on. Um, John is saying that we can know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Loving God equals keeping His commandments, and we can keep them because we are born of God. Faith is the victory, the weapon, the source of power, and it is believing that Jesus is the Son of God, as, as John has portrayed him in this letter. Now we're going to talk about overcomers, and I'm wondering if this water up here is fresh water or if Rich drank out of it. <laughs> Good enough. We used to all drink out of the same communion cup, so that's enough. Okay, let's talk about, about being overcomers. I don't know if you feel like um, what John has to say here is, is your experience as a Christian, that God's commandments are not burdensome, and that, um, Christian, that Christians, those who are born of God, are overcomers. I'd like to review a few attributes of overcomers. We won't, this is not going to be a, a very complete study, now, in a few weeks, and I don't know exactly what he's going to be talking about, but I know that his theme is the enemy's tactics. Josh Good from South Boston is going to be here in a few weeks for weekend meetings, and I am certain that what he has to say will be helpful in this area of over, overcoming. So let's, uh, let's be prepared for those meetings. And by the way, can you hear me all right, or am I muttering a lot? People in the back, can you hear me? You can hear me. Okay. I, ha I usually go through my sermon, actually, and, and write down volume here and there scattered throughout to, to remind me to speak up because I tend, I tend to mumble. All right, let's talk about overcomers. Paul said we're more than conquerors. Sometimes we feel a good bit less than conquerors. Uh, God demands complete allegiance from us. Our flesh is dead set against it. Tell your flesh you're a new creature. You're not going to serve it anymore. Your flesh does not care. It's going to fight you tooth and nail. But a Christian should be an overcomer. And there's really, really no excuse not to be. So let's review a few attributes of, of overcomers. Uh, the first one, the most important one, is that overcomers have faith. That's the most important element of being an overcomer. It's so simple. It's believing and accepting the gospel that Jesus, the Son of God, died for us. And so in some ways, there's not a whole lot to being an overcomer. Uh, it's not an elusive, complicated formula that, um, that we have to understand or figure out, um, or, or that takes years of training to be able to use. You know, probably only a handful of us in here can still do calculus if we ever could. Fortunately, Spiritual victory does not require us to be able to do calculus. I forgot how to do it long ago. This is not an elusive truth. It's simply faith equals victory. It's truly being convinced that God loves you so much that He sent His Son in the flesh to suffer and die for you. And being convinced of that story, um, you, you also must accept its claim on your life. Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. 
Overcomers have faith. And that is what we absolutely must hang on to. There is nothing more valuable for you to uh, hang on to than your faith in God's work of salvation. And as overcomers go through hard times, they continue to believe that Jesus suffered and died for them, and so he loves them. Even through the hard times, he will see them through. And he does. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So uh, that's, that's the first attribute. Everything I have to say really could be said to be a product of faith. Number two, overcomers do not love their lives. Now, they're not suicidal, miserable people. The Apostle Paul was not that way. They don't hate themselves. They're joyful, actually. Uh, they love Jesus. They're willing to die for him. Revelation 12, chapter 12, says, uh, starting verse 10, gives us a, a neat picture of overcomers. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, that, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto the death. They have embraced the principle that Jesus taught way back in Mark 8. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. I think that many of our spiritual defeats simply comes back to not really being dead to self. John Koblenz, um, I believe the name of the pamphlet is uh, Victorious Christian Living. He wrote that death to self is the only gateway to life in Christ. This is a divine law, as unchanging as the natural law of gravity. To live unto God, we must die to ourselves. Our struggle is with the death experience, the renunciation of self, the dying to the old life and its ways. But everyone who says yes to the cross will be answered from heaven by a new life. God's life always flows into those who die with Christ. Overcomers do not love their lives. And the third attribute is they do not love the world either. And I won't spend a whole lot of time on this because it's so closely related to the previous, previous one. Uh, John, of course, wrote, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And someone who loves the world is not an overcomer. Someone who is fond of the world is going to have some major struggles because the world is the Satan system here. It's, it's the enemy. How do, you how do you defeat something you're fond of? That suddenly becomes very complicated, difficult. You start thinking not in terms of victory, but maybe 
peace accords. That's not how it's supposed to work. We need to be on guard against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And any time we feed them, spiritual victory is going to be hard to come by. Fourthly, overcomers escape. Escape sin's traps. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Pretty good lead into a uh, few verses about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When, when overcomers are faced with temptation, they realize that they can fall. Now, they don't have such a high regard for their own spiritual maturity. You know, the problem is not, is not the greatness, is not the power of, of, of the one who is in us. There's not a deficiency in his power. There's a deficiency in our own maturity or faith. But an overcomer realizes they can fall. They, they know, they don't shrug it off. They know they're in danger. They are sober Christians. They walk circumspectly, Ephesians 5. They, they also realize that they don't really have an excuse for failure. This, this temptation is not so unusual and so uncommon that they, you know, they've got an excuse. Paul says it's common. It's, it's a common temptation. And God would not have allowed it if you could not get away from it. He's provided a way of escape. And that's what overcomers do. They look for the way of escape. They know they need it, and they seek it out. That's the fourth one. And the last one is this. Overcomers walk in the Spirit. I'm going to read a few verses from Romans 8. And I can't give this passage the full treatment it deserves. I'll read a few of these verses, starting in verse 1 of Romans 8. Uh, You hopefully know these verses almost by heart. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And down in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then in basically a parallel passage in Galatians 5, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Overcomers walk in the Spirit 
um, all of us, all of us Christians here tonight, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We are able to walk in, in the Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit. What does that mean? I think it's talking about an approach to life. Um, I think the New English translation actually uses the word outlook here. It's setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Live your life according to the Spirit. I don't think it necessarily means thinking about spiritual things all the time, though we should probably think about spiritual things more than we do. Um, it's, I think it's simply being aware of and responding to what the Spirit wants me to do, which means I'm listening and responding. And, and not, not talking about a mystical experience here, not talking about an inner voice, although that, that can happen. I'm talking more about uh, being concerned about what God wants me to do and choosing that instead of what my own personal preference might be. Choosing that. And a person who, who um, is concerned about what God wants, what the Spirit wants, and is concerned about not grieving the Spirit, is not going to be making arrangements for the flesh to be fulfilled in one way or another, and is not going to be looking for loopholes, the things that are kind of borderline. When confronted with temptation, someone who's listening to the Spirit uh, chooses the direction the Spirit indicates, uh, even if it looks very hard, like a very hard thing to do. I think any time that choice is made to respond to the Spirit's leading, we will find that, that the power is there to carry it out. Overcomers walk in the Spirit. One of the things I'm not talking about is, is the, the passage in Ephesians 6 that talks about spiritual armor and equipment and um, spiritual disciplines, praying, and um, all those things I think are important for being able to maintain this, this mindset, this concern of, of walking in the Spirit, having this focus. That's the word I'm looking for. Overcomers walk in the Spirit. So let me recap this, this message. Those who love God love His children. We saw that. We know we love His children if we keep His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. If they constantly feel like a burden, probably something is wrong. We are overcomers because we're born of God. And in our brief look at the attributes of overcomers, we saw that overcomers have faith they don't love their own lives or the world. They escape sin's traps and they walk in the Spirit. May God help us to be overcomers. God bless you. I'll let Paul close things.